you please open up your Bibles to Zephaniah, the prophecy of Zephaniah. For the boys and girls, if you don't remember, he's one of the minor prophets, the fourth to the last prophet listed in the Old Testament. Zephaniah, and we're going to look at chapter 3. In our council and consistory meetings, we've been reading through the minor prophets, and shortly, a, long, a, a while back, we did Zephaniah. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted, to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations, their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose up early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me, for then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. 
for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, for who, who are of they to whom the reproach of it was a burden? Behold, at that time, I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will give them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Of that beautiful promise and picture, we're going, we're going to look at verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Many of the prophets spoke about the day of the Lord. And Zephaniah also here is speaking about that day of the Lord. He is a prophet who is traced way back to his great-grandfather, King Hezekiah. And he comes now to God's people stating the judgments of God, but also the good news of salvation. So you have in the first seven verses God's judgment upon his rebellious and apostatizing people. And in verse 8 you have God's judgment on the nations. But then beginning in verse 9 and following... He shows how he is going to save his elect people, the remnant. The day of the Lord bringing judgment, but also wonderful salvation and deliverance. What hope, what celebration that we have that God loves his church. God loves his church. Yes, he chastises her just as a parent chastises their 
disobedient child because he loves them. And in the way of sorrow for their sin, he delivers them from not only their sins, but also the suffering that he caused in order to chastise them. We have very strong prophetic language in this text and strong encouragements in order to lead God's people to faith and joy and comfort in the Lord. We read in Zephaniah 2, the first three verses, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, it may be, Ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. That anger, those judgments, but also that mighty deliverance and salvation takes place over and over and over again in the life of God's church. And those judgments and those deliverances that God gives to people are types. Types of the day of the Lord that is the day when Jesus comes back again. Because that will be a day of judgment to the wicked. But it will be a wonderful day of deliverance, of salvation to God's people. Where we will dwell with him forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. In verse 14, God's people, when they hear this message, are to respond with joy and with singing. But in our text tonight, it's not God's people, but it is the Lord himself. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Just as your parents at times are very proud of your accomplishments, proud of you as Christian young ladies and men, our God, our Father in heaven, is proud of his people. He rejoices in them because he sees his own work in their hearts and their lives. He sees his grace shaping you, making you his children in this world. So the Lord's song over his church. Notice, first of all, we read that the Lord is in the midst of his people. Second of all, the song that he sings when he is in their midst. And thirdly, the renewal that follows. The Lord is in the midst of his people. Beloved, that is a covenantal theme, isn't it? The Lord, notice in our text, is in capital letters. That means Jehovah. That's his covenant name. 
the I am that I am, Jehovah, thy God. How personal. That's what you have confessed tonight, that you love the Lord, and you love the truths of his word that had been handed down to the church through the Reformation, the Reformed faith. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. What pictures there were in the Old Testament, there was that cloud of glory, the Shekinah that came down upon the tabernacle that was in the midst of the tents of Israel. And later on, that cloud of glory that came down upon the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Those are pictures of God in the midst of his people, and it finds its great antitype in Jesus Christ. God incarnate. God dwelling in our midst as one of us, our elder brother, our Savior. And the Lord is still in the midst of his people now, even though Jesus has ascended bodily into heaven, he is in the midst of his people by the Spirit of Christ and by his precious word. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. And this prophecy is messianic. For we read in verse 15, The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel, even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. The king of Israel there is Christ Jesus, who comes from the line of David, whose throne is forever and ever and ever. Yes, he is in the midst of his people whom he loves. And he is there in his son, Jesus Christ. He is there in his word and by his spirit. He reveals himself. For you and I would not know God except he reveals himself. And he reveals himself in his names. He reveals himself in his wonderful attributes. He reveals himself in his wonderful works whether it be creation, whether it be in our preservation, providence, and especially in our redemption. The Lord is in the midst of thee. When you young adults go through trials and troubles and a testing of your faith, which you will, all God's people do, May you remember that you're not alone. The Lord God is in the midst of his church, whom he loves, whom he directs, whom he leads, whom he preserves. And he is in the midst of them, notice, in his might. In his might. He is in the midst of them. It took place, didn't it? Not only by type, but antitype when Christ was born, was among us. But that is only a faint picture of the day when Jesus is going to come again. And he takes us to be with him forever. Blessed 
fellowship with him. That's what the whole covenant is about, isn't it? Friendship with God. Fellowship with God. God speaking to us and then we are responding to him. That's what our worship services are all about, aren't they? Dialogue with our God. He speaks to us and we respond over and over, back and forth. Just like when God came down in the evenings to talk and to walk with Adam and Eve. It's peculiar language where he says, the Lord thy God. He is not the God of all people. And he doesn't love all people. There is no such thing as common grace. He has a heart for that people that he chose in eternity and gave to Jesus Christ. And all of them will be saved. And so the Lord is in the midst of thee, we read there. And the Lord in the midst of thee is mighty. The purpose that he is in the midst of us now already by his word and spirit is to save, we read in our text. To save you and me from ourselves. To save you and me from our sinful nature. To save you and me from the grasp of Satan. To save you and me from the temptations of the pleasures of the world. To save. And he is able. He's able to save you and me. Because he is mighty. That means he is effectual in his work. He is powerful. As I said before, not one of them is lost. It is he who by his spirit lets us know that we are justified, that our sins are all taken away. It is him by his spirit and word sanctifying us so that we more and more begin to resemble the children that we are of the Lord rather than children of the world. By his word and spirit, he is mighty to preserve us. Oh, keep that always in mind, boys and girls. You are in the Lord's hand who loves you, who cares for you. The wicked are in the hand of Satan who squishes them, squashes them like one would a bug. But you are in the hand of your God. In Christ Jesus. His righteousness, Christ's righteousness, imputed to you and me because he took our sins and put them on Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, he is in the midst of us to save us. And I want you to notice, especially from this passage, how theocentric this prophecy is. It was Luther who returned in the preaching of the word Christ. His preaching was Christocentric. But it was John Calvin who was concerned even more than that of the theocentric thrust of Scripture. What the sovereign God, what our covenant God is doing and will do. I said it's theocentric because, boys and girls, if you were watching closely from verse 17 to the end of this chapter, ten times, ten times we read, I will or he will, talking about God, 
verse 17, he will save, he will rejoice over thee, he will rest in thy and his love, he will joy over thee with singing. And now God speaks in verse 18, I will gather them. Verse 19, I will undo all that afflict thee. I will save her that halteth, and I will get them praise and fame in every land. Verse 20, at that time, will I bring you again, even the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth. Salvation is all of God, isn't it? That's the gospel. Not left up to you and me to do something to get saved. God saves his people. He is in the midst of them in his love to save. So, with that theme, God is in the midst of us to save us. Save us from ourselves, save us from Satan, save us from this wicked world. Notice the song that he sings. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. What does that mean? Well, let's begin looking at those different phrases carefully. He will rejoice over thee with gladness. That grace, that love by which he embraces us and cherishes his church is that of a bridegroom who has eyes for his bride. We have really there an anthropomorphism. He is comparing himself to a husband as he loves his wife. We have that also in the book of Isaiah. I'm thinking of Isaiah chapter 62. We read there, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as a bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. A couple chapters later, Psalm, or Isaiah 65 we have that same thought again of God's love for us. Verse 19, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Genzi, you got your significant person that you like next to you. And all of you young people will hopefully go through that phase where you're looking for a Christian spouse. Well, understand clearly how the Lord takes that beautiful theme of marriage for his relationship to his people. Read the Song of Solomon. For there you have Christ's love for his church pictured as he sees his lovely bride. He rejoices over thee with gladness. Oh, how glad he is. The church as a bride. I'm thinking of that song that we sing in our Psalter of, it's number 125. 
from Psalm 45. Take this home with yourself. You're the bride of Christ Jesus. And we sing, O royal bride, give heed, and to my words attend, for Christ the King forsake the world and every former friend. Thy beauty and thy grace shall then delight the King. He only is thy rightful Lord, to him thy worship bring. To thee, since thou art his, great honor shall be shown. The rich shall bring their gifts to thee, thy glory they shall own. So in our text there, verse 17, he shall rejoice over thee with gladness. The Lord beholds his people as a bride. He loves her. There's not anything he wouldn't do for her. And as he rejoices over her, he probably says to his angels, as he did once before, even to the devil, Have you beheld my righteous servant Job? That is the way the Lord rejoices over his church today, his elect. He sees his work in their hearts, and he rejoices over each one of them. For your faith, you might be persecuted, you might be laughed by, at, by others. Who cares about the opinions of people? We care about God's opinion of us, his work in us. And he rejoices in that. But then in our passage, we have another word, a phrase, which we're going to have to look at carefully. And we read there, he will be at rest in his love. He will be at rest in his love. The Hebrew word there, though really translated, the proper meaning is to be silent. The Lord will be silent in his love. What does that mean? For obviously the Lord was not silent while his church is on here on earth. He comes to Jerusalem and to Judah with warnings. He even calls them Sodom and Gomorrah at times. And he warns them of the judgment that's coming. He tells them to repent. So what does it mean in our text? He will be silent in his love. Oh, a deep, deep love he has for them. How is he silent? There is a prayer that is prayed. And there is a phrase in that prayer. Oh God, be silent in thy love about our sins and our trespasses. God, silent about our sins? How can that be? Take a walk with me over to a hill. A hill outside of Jerusalem. In about the year 33 A.D. There's a mighty, mighty crowd there on that hill. 
And there are three hung up on the cross. And it gets darker and darker. Three hours of darkness when God's wrath is poured over his son as he stands in our place. How can the father at such time be silent in his love when it cost his own son? How can he be silent because our sins are many? We weep and we lament them, don't we? I hope we do. In this week of preparation for the Lord's Supper, Weep and lament for the sins that grieve your Father in heaven. But how is he going to be silent then? How is it possible? Silent with respect to your my sins. Go back to the hill. Where the Lord Jesus Christ is silent there on the cross. As we read from Isaiah He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. As a lamb led to slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. And it grows silent around the cross. Those three hours of silence and darkness, and Jesus is silent in his suffering. And his silence is the very answer of love. He loves his father in the place of his sheep. He stands as the one who represents you and me. And during that time, even heaven is silent. Don't you think the angels were wondering, what is God doing to his precious, innocent, obedient son, causing him to die on the cross? And now from that hill, go with me to the last day of history. When the Lord Jesus comes from heaven, it's called the day of judgment. He's coming as a judge. And when the wicked stand before him, he will surely not be silent to them, will he? He will say to them, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence, but I will reprove thee. And set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider ye that forsake God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. God will not be silent in that day with the wicked. But now God's elect stand before him. And to them he says, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. And God is silent in his love. There on that judgment day, there's not going to be any mention about our sins. Why won't there be any mention about our sins? Because they have all been taken away. They have been buried into the deepest ocean. They are not to be held against us again. Yes, our good works will be judged at that time so that God may reward us in his grace according to those works that are done. But mention our sins again? 
they've been blotted out. So God rejoices over his people. God is silent in that day about their sins, even though in this world, through his word, he warns us of judgment that's coming to those who are wicked. And then the third part of our text. He will exult over thee with singing. God indeed represents himself as a husband who burns with the greatest love toward his wife. And that love for his wife becomes a song. When I was yet a young man and I had my wife-to-be walking down to me in the wedding ceremony, I sang to her. And that song now is not a song of worship, but rather it is a song of joy. My beloved, as we sing the words of Psalter 125. God's great love for us that we can rest in. At times there are saints who go through trials or troubles in their life and they begin to wonder, does God really love me? They have a hard time perhaps believing it because the father figure that God is, their own father, was not very good to them. Does God love me? And if you ever question that, beloved, look at what he did. He gave his only begotten son to take our death, our sin, and our guilt. Bear them in our place. Oh, how God humbles himself. He comes down to meet us in our own flesh, to be with us. He speaks to us in in our own language so that we can hear him and understand him. By nature, we would be unbelieving. And by nature then, we had good right, a reason to be afraid of God, even as Adam and Eve were afraid of God when he came after they took the forbidden fruit from the tree. But God now very consistently in his word says, look, yes, I did chastise you when you were here in the world. I chastised you in order to correct you because I love you. But there's a day coming when I'm going to come to own you and take you to be with myself in the new heavens and the new earth. What a Savior, our Savior. Do you know that love? Do you rejoice in it? You young adults who have confessed your faith, not only a love for Jesus Christ, that question isn't even asked, that's assumed. But now do you believe the things that he says? 
Do you take this word of God? Do you take the doctrines of the church as the rule of your faith and of your life? Your God, rejoicing over you with joy, silent about your sins on there on the judgment day because they're cared for, they're taken away. The Lord singing over his bride. What a day that will be. And that is the message that now God comes with Zephaniah to his people that are being chastised for their sins. For Judah and Jerusalem are following the way of the northern tribes, walking in terrible sin and apostasy. How important it is for to, to know for that small remnant that his eye is upon them. And he keeps them safe from the destruction that is all around them. Hezekiah began a reform in those people. There was a revival again. And that is what Zephaniah is also thinking about as he is now a prophet in the time of King Josiah. And that brings me then to my third point, the renewal that follows. It is with this knowledge that God has his eye upon you, that he rejoices over you in joy, that he is silent about our sins because they're carried away, and he is singing to his bride that enables us now with our eyes by faith looking at Christ Jesus to say, I love him. And I want to please him with my life. God must have used this message of Zephaniah during the reign of King Josiah. There was a great revival. He's the last revival of the Old Testament time. Using that message to have people again worship the Lord in faith, love him, and obey. Not all of them, no. Because King Josiah is only a man, the reforms that he carries out are outward. He cannot change one heart. Only God can do that. But revival with the knowledge, God's great love for his people. That is followed, beloved. There always must be that kind of revival or reformation in the church because we are wayward, our leaders are wayward at times, and we follow them in wayward ways. And so God gives them over to Babylon, doesn't he? And it's 70 years of chastisement there in Babylon that finally there is revival again. There is a people brought out from Babylon back into their land to serve God. And they don't have any foreign gods anymore. But that doesn't mean the heart is all okay. For again, we see God's people, the nation of the Jews, falling away. Their worship now becoming a works worship, a kind of religion where they're proud of themselves. And that new early church that loved one another served the Lord, gave all their proceeds for the kingdom. We see it falling in sin. Dark days, the Middle Ages, 
And it is God in his love saves a remnant. There is the great reformation of Luther and of Calvin. Those kind of reformations have to take place because the church left to herself will walk in sin and walk away from the Lord. And over against the judgment that he brings against an apostate church, there's always a small remnant kept in his love. We know that we experienced it in 1924, didn't we? Three churches, three pastors kicked out. The kind of reformation that had to take place when we lost half of our churches and half of our pastors are really more than that in the 1950s. Reformation. Revival. May the message you hear, young people who've just confessed your faith, may the message that each of us have heard tonight bring us comfort. The Lord Jesus rejoices over his true church in joy. He will be silent about our sins because they've been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sings. Can you imagine that now? The Lord in heaven. Waiting for the bride to come to him. In the new heavens and the new earth. Singing. You are mine. And I am yours. What an incentive to live for him. Amen. Father in heaven. We thank thee for the gospel which is good news. The gospel is about what the Lord Jehovah God does. What he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for his church, whom he loves. We're thankful, Father, that we are never alone as thy people. Yes, small, often helpless and weak, we have thy word to guide us, thy spirit dwelling within us, and godly saints who walk with us through this dark veil, living and serving Christ Jesus. O oh Lord, continue to bless thy church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.